0: Well, welcome to Tombaugh Bible Church. My name is Skeet. I am the senior pastor here. It is my great pleasure today to get to walk through the scriptures with you as we look at what it is to trust God with our finances. Today we'll be looking at generosity, what the scriptures desire for us, what God desires from us in terms of living a generous life. We started this series several weeks ago with the basic statement that everything belongs to God and comes from him. And so as we approach generosity, we do that today, recognizing kind of as the first essential truth to understanding generosity is to know that God is a giver. In James chapter 1, verse 17, the scriptures tell us, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who is not changed like shifting shadows. And so we have a God who gives to us. And in fact, the scriptures say every good and perfect gift is from him, so everything really good that 's really blessed your life or made it better, you have God to thank for that uh, this morning when I saw my little baby girl, and she smiled, God did that when I woke up next to a woman who who dearly loves me that i can 't understand why God did that. Uh, the beautiful weather we 've had outside God did the friends that we have with us, God did that the chairs that we sit in that are comfortable that have cushions that 's the grace of God every Thing you could imagine that is good, that makes life fuller, richer, and better comes from God. So God has given to us intensely, immensely, over and over again with His infinite, consistent generosity towards us. In Acts chapter 14, the Apostle Paul, as he's preaching the gospel, jumps into describing how materially, in terms of our possessions, God has been generous to us. And so in preaching the gospel to a group of non-believers, the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 14, verse 17, says this, Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons, and he provided you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with With joy. So he looks into this agricultural community, and the Apostle Paul says the fact that you have rain and crops and the seasons by which to produce, to provide for your families, and enjoy life, all of that comes from God. So every material blessing, the capacity to work, the opportunity to pursue a job, the talent required to do the job well, all of those things that enable us to have a comfortable material life, to even eat. Food come from God. Psalm one o four takes it a step further and says that in our that our very breath is from God, and that if he were to withdraw his spirit from us, we would perish. So every breath, every instant is a gift from God. And if you go back to Genesis and you look at, at God's judgment for sin, which was when you sinned you would surely die. None of us are deserving of the next breath, but God generously gives to us moment by moment opportunities to experience His redeeming work in our lives, to experience joy with friends and family. And so God is generous. And so the first thing to know when we look at generosity is that we serve a God, we were created by a God who is a generous giver. and He gives us things, He gives us good things so that we can enjoy them. But it's not just about our enjoyment. One of the key things that that we need to learn today is that God gives things to us, yes, so we can enjoy them, but that's not the end of the line. There's a bigger goal in mind when God blesses his people. If you get anything from this teaching, the thing you need to get that you need to write down and take home is that God's blessing is always instrumental what we mean by that is that when God blesses you, it's with an intention that's much larger than simply blessing you. It's towards an intention to bless others as well. One of the best places that you see this is in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Now, Genesis 12 is the call of Abraham. So maybe we can walk through the whole Bible in just a few minutes and really all of human history and God's involvement with it. Is God creates humanity in the garden, life is perfect Through rebellion and sin, we fall out of relationship with God and all of creation is damaged by sin. And from that point on, we find the God of the heavens and earth intervening, intervening, stepping into the created world with an intention to redeem it, to draw it back to its original design and intent. And the way God does this is He chooses a man named Abraham who will become the father of a nation whom God will work through. And in Genesis twelve one to 3 we find that call of Abraham. This is what he says to Abraham. The Lord said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Did you catch that? God's choosing of Abraham to build a people that God would bless and make His own, was so that all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. And if you want to understand what that means, is that the children of Abraham would be a force for God in the world. And that they would be a blessing to the entire created world. Now, years after this, one particular descendant of Abraham, named Jesus from a town in Nazareth, went to a cross where he died for the sins of the world and rose again with the promise of eternal life to all people who would believe. And so the story of the created world and really all of human history comes down to Genesis 12, to 3, where we find God's intention to bless Abraham and through blessing him and his descendants to bless all of the world. So when God does good for us, when he blesses us, it's so that he can use us to expand the blessing of to others, so it would go out. Even the way the gospel goes out from an individual is represented in this idea that God blesses us so that we can be instruments of His blessing. If you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter five, we'll start at verse seventeen. It Says, therefore, if anyone in Christ is, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. It says, all this is from God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And I want you to look at this. It says that God has entrusted to us the Gospel. He has reconciled us, which means that because of our sin we were separated and distant from God, and that in Christ dying for our sins, He has made a way for us to come back to God, and in that, He has reconciled us. We are now in a state of right relationship, and that when He does that in our lives, at the very moment we become reconciled to God, He hands us a ministry to reconcile others to God. So He gives us this ministry of reconciliation that we would take this amazing story of forgiveness and being brought near to God, being given right relationship with Him because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then from that, we would share that message with others as though God were making His appeal through us. So it's not just a financial thing. It's all of life, every blessing, including the very reality that we have understood the Gospel, God gives us so that we might share it and bless others with it. One of the things that God does when you become a Christian, He gives you spiritual gifts, which means that He gives you capacities and abilities and a passion to serve in certain areas. He doesn't give those to you for you. He doesn't give you the spiritual gift of hospitality so you can make yourself feel at home in your own home. That's not how it works. He gives you a spiritual gift. He gives you something so that you can turn and use it, that others might be lifted up. And so across the scope of Scripture, I would really challenge anyone to dig through a blessing that God gives someone in the Scripture in which they can document He has no intention of using it to bless anyone else. Blessing is always, every time, an instrument that God uses for us to bless others. So this is where we're at. We're, we're, we're here where we say God is the source of every good thing. God has given us generously and He's done so with the intention that we would in turn bless others and be generous with what He has given. And so I want us to kind of step back and say, okay, we've decided that generosity honors God, but how should we give? What If we're going to give money away, what guidance does the Scripture give us in this desire to be generous? So I want to give you a few principles that the Scripture teaches about giving. I want us to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We start in verse 1. He says, "...and now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty... Welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave of themselves first to the Lord, then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring... To bring also a completion of this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith and in speech and in knowledge, and in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. So this is what he says. This Macedonian church that, that is just... Riddled by poverty that is, that is struggling to stay afloat. These people were, were just so generous and they pleaded with us. They were asking us if they could give more. And Paul commends them for that generosity and he, he tells the church in Corinth about it and he says, look, I'm not trying to command you to do anything. I'm not trying to force anything upon you. But I wanted to talk to you about generosity and about giving so that I could test the sincerity of your love. Now this is very interesting. According to the scriptures, our generosity, our generous disposition towards others, towards the advance of the gospel tests the validity of our understanding of God's grace and our love for Jesus and other people. This isn't me. I don't write the mail. God says in the Bible that generosity tests the validity of our claims to love others and God. So if I say I love you, but I won't give you anything, it's probably not true. If, if I say I love you, yet refuse to sacrifice anything for your behalf, it's probably not true. If we say we love Jesus, and we understand that He's given us this ministry of reconciliation, but we're unwilling to support ministries that take the Gospel to people that haven't heard it, there's probably not truth in that. That's what the Bible says. And so the generosity is a test of the validity of our understanding of God's grace and our love for Jesus. What do we mean when we say the validity of our understanding of God's grace? Here's what happens when we understand God's grace. Is we understand how desperate our need was and how great His gift was. And so we see the generosity of God. We've experienced Great generosity. The Bible says a normal outworking of that is that that begins to change our hearts to becoming more and more generous. The clearer I understand God's grace and generosity towards me, the greater my inclination to give to others will become. That's what it's teaching. And then he tells us this in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich, so that you might be the treasure of God, so that you might experience blessings and spiritual gifts and right relationship with God, that Jesus sacrificed and gave in that way for you. We go to verse 10 in 2 Corinthians 8. He says, here's my advice about what is best in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. He says, look, you guys... Started this whole giving project to support the ministry as we, we go around and share the gospel, as we bring gifts to churches that were struggling. He says, you guys started this. You were aggressive in it. Now, now finish what you committed to do, what you said you were going to do. I want to encourage you to complete that. And give out of what you have, not out of what you don't have. He says the, this is what I love in verse 12. He says, if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. Not according, each one is to give according to what he has, not according to what he does not have. One of the things you find here, and you'll find in other places, is that giving is proportional, right? You give according to what you have. If you're absolutely loaded, God expects you will give more than if you're struggling to get by and just trying to pay rent. That's God's expectation. He said, give according to what you have. The key thing that God focused on is not the dollar sign and how many digits and decimals and commas. That's not the big deal, according to God, in the Scriptures. It is the willingness. It's the heart behind it. Do you have a generous heart towards others, towards advancing the Gospels? That's the big question mark. He says, if the willingness is there, then the gift is acceptable. If you love giving and you're doing what you can to give, you need not worry that the number is not big enough. What is your heart? Are you doing everything you can to be a generous person? Are you looking to change life, to streamline it, to simplify it so that you can be more generous? And see, what we want to do typically in America because we're numbers and figures driven is we want to talk about digits, numbers, percentages. And we'll get there. We'll talk a little bit about some of that, but that's not the big deal. The big deal, according to 2 Corinthians, is this willingness issue, this desire issue. He says if you love giving and you're orienting your life around being generous to other people, that is acceptable gift to God. So you give from what you have, and you don't look down on your smaller gift because it's smaller, and you don't look up to the bigger gift because it's bigger. You look to the heart and you say, is this person living out a life oriented around generosity? Around receiving the grace of God and then sharing it with others, so it's proportional, and it's less number driven and more heart driven. Let's go to Second Corinthians chapter nine. This is kind of the New Testament's magnum opus on giving. In chapter nine, verse six, he says, "Remember this." Oh, we'll actually start before that. I think. Number verse six. Good. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give according to what he has decided in his own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You see that again, God is giving to you so that your needs are met, so that good works abound. God is blessing you so that you can be a blessing. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor and his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. I want to stop for a moment there. God? What he's saying here, the, this agricultural analogy of seed... He's saying, look, God is giving you things so that you can be a blessing, so that you can invest in the movement of the gospel. And he's going to continue to supply that. He's going to continue to give you what you need so that you can invest, so that there will be a harvest of righteousness. Verse 11, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This is the service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but also is overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I want to just kind of park there for a bit and point out a few things that we see. One is that we find giving is to be intentional. It's to be prayerfully considered, thought out, and then acted upon. He says, look, each man should consider in his own heart what he should give. Each person should think about this, should wrestle with this. That's the problem with teaching blanket percentages is it takes this element away. Because we'll talk about the tithe in a moment, but but if we say you have to tithe, I'm going to tell you what happens there. There's usually two ways of looking at it. One is somebody who's not there yet usually goes home feeling guilty. Sometimes they should because they're wasteful with their money and they're not generous. Let me just be honest. Sometimes they're not and they're just struggling and it gets really difficult. Okay? Other people will look at that and go, ten percent? I'm off the hook. And they will frequently I'm just be honest, there are people that will cut a check for ten percent to the church and they'll be completely lacking in generosity in their lives. That this is a routine that they do, it's something they've done since they were children, that they don't think about. Their heart is not affected by the consideration of other people's needs. They do what they were told to do, they check off the list. And so that's the danger of throwing out percentages although it's helpful and it provides some guidance, is that it can, it can detach us from the evaluation of the needs of a ministry or the needs of other people. And we can be people very easily who check off the list, who tithe, who are not generous, who don't give to other people, who don't look to meet needs, who, who don't buy dinner for friends, who don't invite people in their homes to give of themselves to them, but we could walk away feeling good because we did something that was on the list. And and so I'm not telling you don't tithe. I'm telling you if you tithe, don't think that that makes you generous. It could just mean that you tithe. If you don't tithe, the Bible says you need to consider with your heart why you give what you give. Why do you give less than what you, or, or than what you think you should? Or why do you give More than what you think you should. Some people do that. And and then they walk around with a bit of an attitude. So the Bible says be intentional. You pray about this. Think about this. Consider the needs of others. This is not simple. This isn't something you sit down once and make a decision on and then go, we're generous, peace out. That's not how it works. The Bible says consider this prayerfully, think about it, and give. It says you should give joyfully. He says, you know, giving out of compulsion. We want people giving cheerfully, people excited to give. That's the picture he gives of the Macedonian churches, is that we couldn't stop these people for giving. They kept coming to us going, can we give some more? It was joy in their hearts. And so, if you don't, and be honest, guys, I want to say a statement and then qualify it for you. If when you write your check that you give to the church, it doesn't excite you, maybe you should consider not writing it. And right now the finance team is about to throw something at me. But let me step back and ask a bigger question. If being generous doesn't give me joy, what's wrong with my heart? If I don't enjoy seeing 130 kids coming to Awanas to hear about Jesus, to memorize the Scriptures, what's wrong with me? Really? Really? If I don't enjoy seeing the gospel advance locally in this church as new families are coming in and hearing about Jesus as people are getting baptized, what's wrong with me? If I don't rejoice when I hear Tom Lunsford talk about the impact this generosity, this church's generosity has had on Muslim people around the world in Ethiopia as they go, really everyday people who love Jesus and love me care enough to give? He says that when you give that way, when you get excited about it, when you give in that way, when you reorient life around the joy of giving, life gets exceedingly better, richer, and fuller for you. Because look at the other things we could spend our money on. Let's just be honest. Leather upholstery, a new car, cool gadgets. Those all wear out and break, and they're short-lived, and... But a gift given to someone else that changes their life, that's an eternal value. There will be people that we meet in heaven who have come to faith and experience eternal joy in the presence of Jesus because of the generous gifts of this church. What an exciting day to look forward to. That's why Jesus says, don't store up treasures here where moth and rust destroy, where things are taken and broken. Store up treasures in heaven in what you give away. And what you bless other people with. So we're to give joyfully. But really, that gets to a condition of the heart of what we love. What do we love? Do we love Jesus? Do we love the gospel? And do we love other people? Or do we love comfort? I'm not saying having things that are enjoyable and comfortable are bad, but what's the priority? What should life look like? So we're to give joyfully. We're also to give trustfully. We're to give expecting God will do something with it. We're to give trusting God to supply our needs. You know, I, I, I'm not a mathematician. I don't make any claims to be. But let's run this 10% number since it's relatively simple. Um, if I give 10% away every month, I'm living off of how much of my income? We got any math whizzes? 90%. Oh, young man in the back says, I know the answer. Um, so I'm living off of 90% of my income now. Now let's ask the, we got any economics majors in the house. If I'm spending 90% of my money rather than 100%, can I buy less or more? Less, right? I'm again I'm not a math whiz. I'm just trying to walk us through this. So if I give away 10, say 15, whatever percent of my income that I give away on a monthly basis, that means for me that I'm going to consciously make a decision to live off of Less than I am earning, right? Now, if I'm going to do that, I'm going to have to continue to trust God to provide for me. I'm going to have to trust Him. The tithe, just like the Sabbath in the Old Testament, was a measure of God's trust. In the Old Testament, they were surrounded by all these other countries who, who work seven days a week. They're farmers. And God says, You don't do that. You take a day off to rest, to worship, to be with family. That's a test of trust. Am I going to be able to earn and provide when everyone else around me is working more? God says, trust me. Am I going to be able to get by to make it, even when I'm giving money away towards the advancement of the gospel, towards caring for other people? God says, trust me. If you go to Malachi chapter 3, this is interesting to me. Generosity is the only thing God ever says to test him on. Look at this, he says, How will a man rob God, yet you rob me? He says, You ask, how do we rob you? God's answer is, In tithes and offerings you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord. So now I want to unpack that a little bit. There's the, the people of Israel, they had been commanded to tithe, and God says, it's much like their tax system, we'll talk about the tithe here in a moment, but the whole nation, God says, was under judgment because they disobeyed Him. As a, as a nation, the Israelites had not followed the command, and they were under judgment. God says, step it up, do what I've asked you to do, test me on this one. It's interesting, because every other time in Scripture, you hear God talking about testing Him, you know what He says don't, to, to do? Don't test the Lord. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. Don't test me. Don't test me. Don't test me. When it comes to generosity, test me. Try me on this one. That's what he says. Now, I'm not saying there's a give-to-get scheme here where if you cut a check to the church, God's going to magically put money in your bank account somewhere. That's foolish. What I'm asking you to do, what I'm asking you to do, is to reorient life around being generous to other people about being generous so that ministries that advance the gospel will have the capacity to do it. That's what I'm asking you to do. And God says, test me in this. Tell me if your life doesn't get richer, fuller, better. Test me. And so some of you guys, this is what I encourage you to do. If you're not giving or you're giving at a level that you know is substantially below your income, test God in this. Run a 120-day trial on it. Make a commitment as a couple. Sit down together and go, we're giving at this level. We're going to bump it to this, and we're going to test God for 120 days. He says, test me. Take him at his word. So it's to be trustful. We trust God to do something with our gifts. We trust him to provide for us. And he says, trust me. Put put this thing in action and see how it plays out. And so what about the tithe? In Deuteronomy, in the Old Testament, God commands... The people of Israel to tithe. And truthfully, there were three tithes, two every year and one every third year. So their average tithing was not ten percent as we talk about, it was actually twenty-three point three percent of their annual income. So when we say I tithe, if you want to follow the Old Testament teaching on tithing, you need to bump it from ten to twenty-three point three. But when we say I tithe, I want to talk through that standard. In the New Testament, Jesus talks about tithing to, one of, to a group of Pharisees in which he says, you guys, you know, you give 10% of everything, but you neglect all this other stuff too, and you should do both. And so some people take that and you go, see, Jesus says that we should tithe. And so what I want to roll through is in the teachings to the Scripture, tithing to the church in the New Testament, tithing isn't commanded. And so what do we do? How do we take what the Old Testament showed with tithing, what Jesus tells the Jewish people they should do, and what we should do? And I can tell you kind of how personally we've walked through this discussion. The Old Testament provides tithing as a standard. There were several tithes. tithes. But then Jesus tells a Jewish guy who lives under the Old Testament law, under the Old Covenant, that he should tithe. Because he lives under Old Testament law, under the Covenant. He has not been redeemed by Jesus. He is not living under God's grace in the same way that we are. And the New Testament says, give according to the grace given you. That's the teaching of the New Testament to the church. And so here's how we walk away from this. is The New Testament doesn't command Christians to tithe. It commands Christians to give according to the grace given them, to give generously, to give joyfully, to give thoughtfully, to give sacrificially. It doesn't give us these percentages which make life easy. But in our home, how we walk through this, is we said, well, what was the root of the tithe? Where did this come from? Well, if you look at the ancient world, a tithe or 10% of your earning or of your crop was known as the king's share. And so as you gave 10% of of your crop or herds or whatever to the king, it was a recognition that under the king's provision and protection, you had the opportunity to live, provide a family, and enjoy life. And so it's how you said thank you and recognized the protection and provision of the king. And so, Leisha and I look at it and we go, is God our king? Yes. Is Jesus our king? Yes. Do we live under his provision and protection? Yes. Should we honor that by giving him the king's share? Yeah. And so, while I don't think you can make a strong biblical case to say Christians are 100% guaranteed commanded to tithe in the New Testament, the principle is the same, that God is our king, we live under his provision and protection, I don't I think tithing is a starting point to be honest. Cuz if I'm to give according to the grace given me, that grace is infinite. Truthfully, I can't just cut a check for 10% and then think it's all good when God's command is much greater on my life. When every penny comes from him and should be used for his glory. So, that's how we walk through it. it The New Testament doesn't throw out easy percentages, but what it does throw out is that God has given to you like wild. And He's done it so you can bless others. And if you came here today looking for a percentage that you could hit and go home feeling good, I'm not going to give that to you. That would be way too easy. But what I will tell you to do is to search your heart and to say, am I generous? Do I give like Jesus gave? Do I love like Jesus loved? Do I love the advancement of the gospel more than I love creature comforts? What do I love? And that's harder. Requires you do business with God. That you lay your heart bare before Him and ask Him to make Himself known to you, to expose to you in your heart areas that you have not been generous. At the same point, I don't want to Come across with a club today because this church has been very generous, has a history of that, and I think it's appropriate to celebrate that as well. To say there's always room to grow in this area. We should always examine our hearts, ask God to expose areas where we have drifted from Him, where we have taken up lesser loves, but also to celebrate this church's history of giving to people that are that are poor around our community through benevolence, through angel food through Angel Tree and some other things that we do, uh, to advancing the gospel locally with evangelism and children's ministry. Um, And what we do here, discipling, helping grow people so you can go out and share the gospel in your workplace and neighborhood and taking the gospel around the world through missions. In a couple weeks, you're going to get the great joy of having some of our missionaries in, Tim and Kelly Malloy, who kind of homegrown, their parents attend here, and hearing about your generosity, what it is doing, help advance the gospel around the world. So I don't want to just come across with the club and say, you guys need to step it up. That's not the point. This isn't a shakedown. What I want is for you to experience God's blessing in your life and to experience the joy that it is to give to something of eternal value and to celebrate what has happened here already and what God has done. To celebrate that Muslim farmers and shepherds around the world rejoice and praise God and worship Jesus now and God did that through the generous giving of these people. All praise and glory to him. One of the things that we do as a church is we want to give you opportunities to give to each of these areas. And so, uh, just to kind of walk through our finances here, um, you give to, if you give to Tomo Bible Church, off the top, 10% of that goes to foreign missions as we try to advance the gospel around the world. A good chunk of it goes to just keeping the lights on, the doors running, the ministries operating so that we can share the gospel here locally. A decent chunk of that rolls into things like benevolence and angel food. And so we kind of have this three-pronged approach. We say, what should I give to? Uh, what you, you ought to give to see the gospel advance locally and around the world. You ought to give uh, to ministries that help grow people in the church. You ought, to, you ought to give to help the poor and the needy. And then separate from that, just a generous disposition as you see needs in life. And that's as a church, we've kind of huddled up and, and you kind of see that play out that we've wanted to give opportunities. If you don't know where to start on those, that we've got things running here that you can give to, that you can support. If you say, I don't really know a ministry around the world that I would want to give to, that I could trust. Well, we've got a missions team here that works with that. So catch Larry uh, and say, hey, what are our missionaries doing? What's a place that's really exciting that I can give to? Or, you know, just wait till a couple weeks to hear about that. Or if you want to help locally, you just have a passion. God's just touched your heart. Say, I want to, I want to help people here in the Tomball community that are struggling. You know, plug in with Angel Food, serve food to people. You can, uh, if you want to. One of the things that we've encouraged people to do is adopt a family, because we get these boxes of food for roughly thirty dollars, and for thirty bucks, you can feed a family of four for about a week. That's pretty impressive, and so that's available to you. You can write a check, and it won't go to the general fund. It'll go to Angel food, so if you just make that note on there, and you can sponsor a family, and for at least 25% of the month, you can step up and help feed a family in our community. So there are options all around that we want to provide to you to experience God's blessing and generosity. I hope you know that the heart of this is for you to experience God's blessing, for you to experience the joy of giving, and to have a lasting impact so that when we reach heaven, We have something to show for all of the blessings that God has given us. And the great thing is that even here and now, we get to experience that joy as well. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your great generosity to us. That through your son Jesus, you gave the greatest gift the world has ever known, that he gave himself up, dying on a cross for our sins, to draw us to you, so that we can be reconciled, so that we could then have a ministry of reconciliation, of being a part of that great joy of seeing people forgiven, recreated in your image, growing to be like you. Lord, I would pray that, that your spirit would work in our hearts in such a way that we would begin more and more to reflect the generosity of Jesus, and that we would give in such a way that we would see a harvest of righteousness that many people would accept Christ because of the generosity of this church. Lord, we thank you for that history of giving and generosity that our church has had. We pray that by your grace, we would continue in that and that we would accelerate that legacy. We pray for our missionaries. We pray for the Malloys as they'll be traveling here. Um, we thank you for their commitment to give their lives for you, for the advancement of the gospel. Lord, so we pray for our preparations for them to be here, that we would receive them generously and send them generously so that the gospel would advance. In Jesus' name, amen.